You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. In this episode, we continue our World Cup Digest where we cover latest matches and news. Today, we will be talking about the match played between England and Pakistan at Trent Bridge, Nottingham. I would like to welcome my co-host, Ajit. Hello, Ajit. Did you catch this match? Hi, Giddy. Well, parts of it. I mean, um, due to work and other things, I was fading in and out. But uh, I think it was a fantastic, fantastic match. I think mm. the first real, let's say, tough match of this World Cup, mm-hmm. right? And Pakistan rightly won this match. It was, uh, you know, it swung both ways. But I think uh, going into the last four, three overs, three to four overs, mm-hmm. Pakistan were the favorites and they clinched the match. So if you were to quickly summarize uh, the main performance of this match, right? So, Pakistan batted first. So, uh, when they batted first, England had chosen to field. So, <clears throat> they were asked to bat, of course. So, Pakistan uh, got a you know reasonably solid start with Fakhar Zaman scoring 36 of 40 and Imamul Haq holding fourth. And then uh, Babar Azam scored a quick fire 63 and um, Imamul Haq was dismissed trying to go for a big shot. I remember the catch being fantastic from Chris Wokes, right? And then Hafiz and Babar Azam basically set up a beautiful platform, scoring at better than run a ball. And Hafiz uh, scored 84 and Babar Azam, who was out after making 63. Uh, Hafiz was then joined by Sarfraz Ahmed, who looked a bit scratchy, but nonetheless kept scoring at better than run a ball. And between these two, they made sure that, you know, they took Pakistan to a very comfortable score of 279 for four in the 43rd over. This meant the platform was set up for the hitters of um, lower and middle order to come in and you know go through. So Asif uh, made 14, Malik, Wahabriya, Sanali, and Shadab Khan all swung the bat. As a result, um, you know Pakistan reached a very competitive 348 for eight. Even though it's uh, you know the trend bitch pitch and people say you know now 350 is the norm and so on, Pakistan still had a slightly above par score because they were feeling very confident. And a confident and an energetic Pakistan can defend anything as you know. So as it turned out. That was the case because England also uh, could not get a very solid start. Jason Roy was out for eight. And uh, I think this was a ploy that uh, Pakistan's keeper also followed to introduce uh, leg spinner at the beginning and it worked. Uh, Johnny Bairstow made 32 of 31 and he was out making Wahabriyas. Right? Joe Root held the innings together with a very patient 107, uh, just at better than run a ball. Owen Morgan and Ben Stokes were taken out by the spinners and without a much big score and then mainly the star of the show was Josh Butler who along with uh, Root first stabilized the ship and then once Root was dismissed for 107 scored a fantastic 103 of just 76 balls right this was his first World Cup 100 and then he did not get the adequate support from the lower middle order Moin Ali made 19 Chris Wokes 21 and so on and Mark Wood also tried his best but you know Pakistan won the match by 14 runs in the end um, for his all-round efforts, Mohammad Hafiz was declared the man of the match. If you were to look at the bowling statistics, Chris Wokes did a decent job with the ball, but he was a bit costly. He took 3 for 71 for England. And then Moeen Ali was the real star for England with the ball because he took 3 for 50 and all three of his wickets were the first three batsmen of 
Pakistan, then Markwood was probably the most parsimonious uh, because even though he considered a little bit more, uh, he took two for 53 bowling at rapid pace. Jofra Archer had an off day. He considered 79 runs without taking a wicket. And Ben Stokes took uh, 0 for 43 of seven overs. But the main disappointment probably was Adil Rashid, who considered 43 runs of five overs. On the other hand, uh, Pakistan had a steady bowling effort with, you know, Shadab Khan taking 2 for 63, Amit taking 2 for 67. Wahab Riyas, the highest wicket taker, he took three wickets but considered 82 runs. Hassan Ali was steady. He took... Uh, uh, he considered 66 runs of his 10 hours but could not take a wicket, but he was very crucial. And the most crucial point was, of course, the spinners, who between them, Hafiz and Malik, in their 10 hours, took two for 53. This could have been very crucial. Right? These were the summary. So, uh, for the talking points of this game, um, Giri, do you have any nice ones? Let's uh, go through it. I think one of the crucial points in this uh, match was uh, uh, Jason Roy dropping Hafiz. Ah, Right. I think right. that uh, Hafiz was, I think he was probably in his 20s or maybe 30s. I, I can't remember what the score was, but he right. was dropped. It was a comfortable catch, I should say. And Jason Roy is a good fielder. Of so it's, it's a shame that uh, he dropped a catch and uh, Hafiz went on to make 84 runs. That's one point. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, of course, uh, is England, I think, probably would have lost this match had it not been uh, for the sublime innings uh, by... Josh Butler. I think when Josh right. Butler came out to bat, there was still about 25 overs remaining and uh, England needed, I think, probably just over 200 runs when he came out to bat. Mm-hmm. And uh, any other team probably would have thought uh, game over, right? But uh, right. in walked Josh Butler. He didn't have a care uh, about anything in this world. He just, he was back to his fluent self. He was playing those unbelievable shots that he normally does. Um, mm-hmm. But interestingly, I think... Uh, he must have been probably in, in his first 15 deliveries. Uh, Wahab Riyas bowled a quick uh, ball outside the off stump and uh, Joss Butler nicked it. Mm-hmm. And it fell in the vacant first slip region. Uh, and of course, it went to four uh, to the boundary. Right. But just, I think, two deliveries before this, uh, Sarfras uh, had a first slip. He just yeah. moved him away, and then the ah. ball went there. So this was this could have been a turning point for Pakistan in Pakistan's right. favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if this fielder was there, he would have caught Josh Butler, and it would have probably been a game over. Um, so if you look at the England scorecard, apart from Joe Root and Josh Butler, I think the next highest score you see is uh, Johnny Bairstow, 32. Right. All the others didn't convert their uh, starts, and they probably fell short there. Yeah, the glorified English batting lineup did not fire this time, apart from these two guys. So mm-hmm. at least at the top of the order, Roy and Besto right. did not give them the start they are normally used to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. have uh, used to having in uh, when they come when they come out to bat. So I think that probably cost them. Uh, I have to, I mean, spare a thought for uh, Wahab Riyas. He went for a few runs uh, with yeah. those nicks and all those at the beginning mm-hmm. of the uh, English batting. Right. But towards the latter part of the innings, uh, of course, Sarfras went back to his most experienced bowlers. Right. I think the last seven or eight overs were, were bowled by uh, these two experienced guys, Mohamed Amir and Wahab Riyas. And um, with their skills and the knowledge of the game, I think they managed to plug it back in uh, Pakistan's favor. I think they got, they got those crucial wickets, especially Mohamed Amir getting the wicket of uh, Joss Butler, uh, caught at uh, short third man. Of course, mm-hmm. by Wahab Riyaz. Wahab Riyaz has quite had uh, quite an eventful game. So he he was in the thick of action almost uh, 
every single delivery in the last five hours or so. So once Butler was out, uh, it was an uphill task. Um, and then I think guys like Moin Ali and Chris Wokes tried to chip in, but I think it was not enough. And uh, Jofra Archer failed with the bat as well. So I think there wasn't okay. much to uh, do after that. But yeah, it's a, it's a fair reflection of how the game went. Uh, although England may have considered 20 or 30 run, runs less, uh, you know, if they had not uh, had those uh, drop chances or uh, shown some slops, uh, had not shown those, uh, you know, sloppy moments on the field. Yeah. Indeed. Well, I mean, first of all, we should really congratulate Pakistan on being, uh, you know, really predictably unpredictable, as they always are. From, let's say, uh, you know, 105 all out to 348 for 8, right, in consecutive games on the same pitch, right? And of course, they have also sort of, you know, uh, shown up the form book by beating the one of the traditional favorites for this World Cup very early on in the tournament. They really snapped out of their uh, you know, 11 match losing streak in a very fantastic manner. So they should be given all the credit and also credit to the team management there because at the end of the day, they had gone for, you know, a bit of aging fast bowling in case of Wahabriyas at least. But they went in for the experience and the pace he still carries, right? And that worked out for them. And I think the real difference was in the last five overs. The intensity with which the Pakistan bowlers bowled and the fielders backing them up. So you are absolutely right that Wahab Riyaz was always in the thick of things there because he not only took two wickets, that one hour where we dismissed both Vokes and uh, I think uh, uh, Butler. Uh, ah, no, no, not Butler, but I think Ali. So Ali and Vokes were dismissed in the same hour, right? Mm-hmm. That was one very important thing. The other thing, um, if I'm not wrong, he took a fantastic catch. The catch that he took of Archer was also very crucial. Yeah, because third man, was, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so Wahab Riyaz was there, even though he's a slightly older chap in this team, along with the likes of, you know, Hafiz and Malik and all that. But there, the older stars of this team came through. So Hafiz mm-hmm. scored a fantastic 84 of 62. On his day, he's he's really good. There was a flicked six of one of the fast England bowlers. I think it might mm-hmm. have been just a flick of his legs that went so cleanly into the stand. It was not a big boundary, but that was six nonetheless, right? Mm-hmm. So Hafiz on his day was fantastic. So I think he missed an opportunity to score, you know, a hundred of 70, 72 balls and, you know, make this a all-time great innings for himself. Mm. But nonetheless, he did his job. Same thing, you know, Sarfraz, a lot of people are creeping on social media. You can say, what is this guy looking so uncomfortable, yada, yada. But he was always scoring at a strike rate of 110. Nobody realized mm-hmm. that. And then mm-hmm. in the end, when Hafiz was out, I remember tweeting that they added 80 runs in under 60 balls. And this guy was still scoring at better than Ranaval. So that's very well done to him, right? So that's an ideal sort of a partnership. And then, um, you know, people always target Imam Ulak because, uh, you know, they call him slightly derogatory term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Because he's, after all, the nephew of the chief selector. But look, he has not done anything wrong. And in this team, at the end of the match in the press conference, Sarfras mentioned a very important point. He said, we like him to take his time. It's okay even if he scores at 85, 90, you know, runs per 100 balls because he provides that solidity at the top. If we lose a cluster of wickets at the top, we don't have chances to, you know, expand or, you know, uh, go go into a hitting mode later. So this is the cushion he gives us and we'll take care of the scoring rate for sure. And he's also growing as a cricketer, right? This guy started really promisingly in international cricket. So, yeah. There he was still an has an average of 50 plus, right? He still has an average of 50 plus in ODI cricket. Yeah, yeah. and and Wahabriyas, I remember this. I have to mention this. Wahabriyas, mm-hmm. I think he was chasing down a ball, must have been to the deep cover boundary, 
Uh, and he, you know, he dived and then pulled the ball black in, uh, ball back inside the boundary. He dived, ah. you know. He can, can you rem, can you imagine Wahabria's diving, sliding, and uh, saving a run for his team? So he was so committed in this match. It was very good to see an old guy, an older guy, in the team do mm. so well. So well done to him as Perfect. well. Perfect. Perfect. Now, I mean, that means he's showing the commitment. You know, older or younger, he's putting in the yards, in the trainings. You know, the hard yards, so that he he's also not going to be the weak link on the field. Right, people like Hafiz and Malik—they are always very fit, belying their age, and they are very good on the field. And if Wahabria is being a fast bowler and a big guy, you know, mm. if he's also able to contribute, that really lifts the whole team up, you know, mm. because mm. they can see it's not easy for him. But he's doing this, then the people who are more lithe, like Babar Azam, Fakhar Zaman, all of these people will really be more enthusiastic. Even the catch that Asif Ali tried of. Uh, you know, Josh Butler that he almost pulled off. It was one mm. of those, you know, he almost hurt himself. But you see that commitment uh, from Pakistan in the field. So they really deserve to win this match. Right. The yeah. other difference between the teams was the spinners. Mm. You know, first of all, the three spinners that Pakistan bowled had a cushion of a very large score already. But I think Shadab Khan, first of all, dismissed uh, Jason Roy. And then the way he took out Joe Root was very crucial. I remember watching that sequence of five balls in that over. Yeah. Basically, he frustrated Joe Root into giving his wicket away by, mm-hmm. you know, uh, keeping him tight, bowling in the same region. And the ball that he got out was slightly faster than what he expected. As a result, it yes. went in the air. Right? Yes. That yes. is like classic bowling. I mean, it doesn't matter that you're a leg spinner. He was using his, you know, his nose and his guile there. Not yeah. in the form of loop. But nonetheless, it was still very good thinking. It, that that was nice to see. And uh, I think the main thing was, I remember tweeting out, what if Hafiz and Malik go for runs? Was it a good idea to drop Imad Wasim? Right? Then our friends down the ground podcast immediately tweeted saying, no, Imad is a little susceptible against a short ball and his bowling is not really that great anymore. So that, that proved out to be right as well. Then the experienced two bowlers, they just considered 53 runs and each took a wicket. That was, again, very good. And they did the job perfectly for their skipper, right? Mm. So, there too, I think um, they gained a lot in the way they used the bowlers. I think Sarfras must be complimented as well. I mean, he missed yeah. an occasional, what you said, slip in place or such stuff like that. But all in all, he had the right people bowling at the right times, I think. Right? I think he had faith in his bowlers this time. And it was uh, good to see, uh, see that the bowlers, uh, you know, paid him, paid back uh, the faith that he has he had in them. So, I think it was good to see a good... A team effort from Pakistan, batting as well as bowling. Uh, so it all, you know, it, it's shaping up to be a wonderful World Cup now. I think this is this this was probably the closest match in this tournament so far. Indeed. And uh, yeah, let's see what happens uh, mm. in the next mm. match, maybe. Well, next match is Sri Lanka versus Afghanistan. Both the teams are winless, and both have lost contrastingly. So Sri Lanka okay. were really. Uh, decimated, but Afghanistan fought, but they were overpowered by by a more you know classier Australian team. But you know, um, for tomorrow again, they are playing in Cardiff, so it it had a green tinge. So Sri Lanka, you know, having experienced what happens when you play on a very green tinge to wicket, may may go either one of two ways. They may back their strength, they may choose to keep a spinner or additional spinner. Or, one of Dhananjaya De Silva or Jimon Mendes may lose their place and they may pack the team with fast bowlers. But because Matthews is still there, I would still lean on two spinners and maybe three pacers with Matthews if he's fit enough to back up as the fourth pacer. Because somebody That's like question, Matthews, right? Fitness of Matthews is always a question mark. Indeed. He tried no, but, bowling in that uh, New Zealand Test Series and then I think he was uh, injured after that. You remember? I so he seems so. he's very susceptible to injuries. I don't know if uh, Sri Lanka will favor him bowling anyway. 
Nah, but they'll need their middle order standing up, and mm. this guy is the key there. Matthews, He's the right? batsman, right? He should be there as a batsman, not as a bowler or an all-rounder. I mean, they have multiple choices also there. I always say Dhananjay De Silva bats way too lower for a guy who can bat so well. Maybe. But you think that was that is some sort of a punishment for him? <laughs> right? He he might be you know sort of made to uh, wait his time, just like what they have done with Maxwell in Australia, right? If mm. you are supremely talented, but you are not converting them, maybe frustrating you a little and. making you wait for your chances so that you really relish them and you get them might be an idea it, it it's highly possible hathra singh guys i think also has coached in the australian setups and he probably knows how to handle the let's say the uh, strong headed uh, but very strongly talented or supremely talented individuals like just mm-hmm. like how they know how to do it it's like a resource sometimes you know you have to break just a little bit of the will otherwise you can't control it at all because it's so uh, it's so unruly at the beginning mm-hmm. so to say right mm-hmm. all right now going forward uh, it's going to be an interesting thing afghanistan didn't do too much wrong but they were just not up to it against australia so they'll probably back themselves to come good their troika spinners you know will look to do their job and they have a reasonably good pace attack as well so let's see how they go against sri lanka but sri lanka will want an emphatic victory i think because they have been derided all over because um they have sort of fallen behind bangladesh and even afghanistan in the pecking order and they really don't want that to translate into results they want to win and win well and you know, against afghanistan put the put those ghosts that have entered their minds probably because of that bad defeat in the same ground cardiff to bed you know, the only way to do it is win comfortably right and doesn't matter which team so that's what they look to do so it it's going to be an interesting game tomorrow as well right giri yeah i i it's yeah two asian teams uh, fighting for uh, well it's not yet survival but uh, sri lanka needs to win this more than afghanistan okay. i think sri lanka need to win this all right then so we are looking forward to tomorrow's match if we were to quickly look at uh, some of the news from outside of the cricket world you know or in the cricket world but outside of the ground <laughs> so bcci have announced their home season so the schedule has been put out by bcci and we can see that basically they'll be hosting five teams uh, in in effect and um, so there is the um, they they have planned five tests nine odis and 12 t20s in the upcoming home season 19 uh, 2019 and 20 right first will be the freedom trophy after the world cup that's in september where it will be you know uh, three t- 320s and three tests against south africa and then it will be the bangladesh tour of india where it will be three t20s and two tests then there will be a west indies tour of india which will be uh, in december but this is just um, limited over series so three t20s and three odis then zimbabwe will tour india where they'll this is in the new year 2020 so they'll have three t20s australia will tour for three odis again before january ends and then in march south africa will tour uh, to let's say complete the rest of their tour where they'll also play three odis this is the entire let's say the itinerary that's been you know mm-hmm. published it looks like an interesting one but i see a surfeit of uh, ODIs and T20s but I think from now on I think it's also going to be governed by the you know world test championships so yeah. I think this has already been pre-decided so that every team has to play every other and so on so even the number of tests might already be decided so 2 2 or 3 3 tests rather than 4 or 5 test series so let's see how it goes and the other important news that we just uh, came to hear is late yesterday night uh, we saw that uh, you know uh, Joe Burns the Australian opener has been diagnosed with a fatigue related illness this is very unfortunate because um, he got a chance uh, at the fag end of the australian test summer and 
he had a chance of at least playing one test but um, we don't know if he was going to be a surety in the test match uh, squad for the ashes now that warner and smith are back but nonetheless uh, he's been diagnosed with a fatigue related illness and i think he'll need some time uh, apparently he suffered a viral disease in october last year and um, it's still a hangover of that it's still based on that is what i read and it, it could be something like this epstein bar virus that we read about every now and then where somebody who's between 25 and 30 35 sees it or realizes it for the first time and they're suddenly very fatigued after a slightly heavy event right we yeah. uh, wish joy burns all the best for his recovery it's not a big deal but as a sports person these things will affect you right yeah all right those are all the main things that we wanted to cover for today so we can now move on to the trivia question so the trivia question we had asked in the previous episode was which player holds the record for the most number of 50 plus scores in odis right consecutive 50 plus scores that's the idea so in this case the answer is uh, as i had hinted you have to go back a few decades even so the answer is javed miandar of pakistan who had nine consecutive 50 plus scores in 87 this is back in the days of the golden age of sharja and so on and he had nine consecutive 50 plus scores in 1987 now uh, for the trivia question of this episode we know that you know yesterday joe root hit the first 100 of the ongoing cricket world cup 2019 but there is one world cup Ah uh, well, at least Jorut scored it in his in the sixth match of the tournament, right? But there's one World Cup where uh, the first hundred was only scored in the fifteenth match of the tournament. So which is the World Cup in which the first hundred of the tournament was scored in the fifteenth match of the World Cup? That is the question. All right. So you can get in touch with us to give us the answers or give give us your feedback via social media, for example. Uh, on Twitter, we are at AmcheckRipod. We have a Facebook page that you can come to and give your answers, right? Or you can write into us at amcheck.cricket@gmail.com. As always, we would like to say thank you to all our listeners and people who write into us and keep encouraging us to do this. And now that we have reduced the uh, time format, we do we keep we try to keep it short and summarize each match and things around it. So I hope this will make it easier. If you are a very busy person, you could still keep up with us, right? And then also talk about our podcast with some of your cricket friends. Subscribe to us and give us a five star rating if you think we deserve it on any platform you listen to us, right? This will really encourage us. All right then. Having said all that, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from him. Bye bye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.